Hi, and welcome to the Unique Perspective Show, broadcast live on Hakol Radio, powered by the Montanivasar. Every person, and in particular, every Jew, is special and unique in his or her own way, contributing to society with their very own flavor. My name is Yehuda Blonder, your show host, and I was born with a rare medical condition called familial dysautonomia, also known as FD. Growing up and overcoming multitudes of medical challenges shaped the person I am today, as well as gave me a rather unique perspective on life. On this show, we will be sitting down with amazing people with unique perspectives in life who will give us a glimpse into their lives and what makes them who they are. Come along with me for the ride on the Unique Perspective Show on Hako Radio. Hi everyone and welcome back to the Unique Perspective Show. On today's show, I am thrilled and honored to announce that I had the pleasure of interviewing J.J. Isaac on the show. J.J. grew up in Muncie, New York, went to yeshiva in Muncie for elementary and high school. During high school, J.J. started having pain in his leg, so much pain that he had to go to doctors to check it out, and the results from the doctor were not good. J.J. is a five-time cancer survivor and he's married with three kids and lives in Muncie. Please help me in welcoming JJ to the show. Welcome, JJ. Okay. Thanks for having me on. How are you? I'm good. So, um, JJ, what's going on, first of all? How are you today? I'm doing well. Yeah. Everybody's doing their thing. We're just keep on keeping on. That's what we do. That's good. That's good. Okay. So, um, First of all, where did you grow up? I was born in Muncie, New York. Okay. And the original the original part of Muncie, now Muncie has exploded in many different directions, but right. I was born in the original part of Muncie, where actually where my father grew up and where his mother grew up as well. So my family's wow. been in Muncie for, at this point, over 100 years. Wow. I'm, I'm the fourth generation in Muncie. So we're, we're never leaving, Amazing. whether we like it or not. <laughs> and... Um, I had a pretty, it was, uh, it was, you know, it is still, it's a beautiful place to grow up. Right. We had a very nice, uh, nice childhood. It was very like, you know, country-like. We had a lot of land and we, I grew up outdoors. I was a very athletic kid. I was a very active kid. Okay. Um, so growing up, where, where did you go for yeshivas and stuff? Yeshiva, I went to, there was a school, when I was growing up, there was a school that had just opened up, was called uh, Dar Noam, and it okay. had... Had just started. I was in. I was. I had gone to a different. I had gone to Yeshiva Spring Valley before that when I okay. started school, and then they had just opened up when I was going into. I think it was third grade, and they had just opened up, and I was going to be their part of their first class, the first, you know, level, the first class going through that school, okay. and we decided to. I wasn't. We decided to move for whatever reason. My parents decided to move me to that school, and okay. I finished there. I was in elementary school. I was there through eighth grade. Okay. Great experience there. And I went to, for high school, I went to a place called Yisodi Yisrael, which is a, was a offshoot, a branch of Yisodi Yisrael in Queens. Okay. 
And from there, I actually went to Yisod Yishon for 12th grade. And I went to Arachayim uh-huh. in Queens, Rabbi Landers Yeshiva for three years in Beis Medrash. And uh-huh. well, we're jumping ahead here because a little during uh-huh. that time, we had we have uh, an interesting story to share with you. But we'll get right. to that. Okay, so... so- um, growing up, so you obviously left Yeshiva Spring Valley, then you went to this new Yeshiva. Right. Um, everything was good in elementary school, meaning like you, you were, you were feeling good. You were doing everything. Yeah, I was a regular, you know, regular, normal, regular kid. Okay. Did regular things, active, running around, outdoors, like I said, sports, right. everything was normal, regular. And... You know, that was through eighth grade. It was everything was okay. I went to and I went to high school. Ninth grade, everything was fine. Tenth grade was doing okay. About halfway through tenth grade is where things started to get a little interesting. Okay, so you're now in this yeshiva in Muncie for high school, and like you said, you, you started off good or ninth and tenth grade. And what were um first? Okay, so I don't know if you want to discuss this, but what were your symptoms that you had uh, in middle of 10th grade that you that you thought that was an issue so i didn't really think it was an issue to be at the beginning actually okay kind of i i might not we but i kind of ignored it i kind of didn't really because i was very like like i said i was very into sports i was very active right. i was always like you know i was you know falling and jumping or whatever and i didn't really think much of it but at the right. time but right. i had started getting this severe severe pain in my left knee okay, and it was like on and off. It would come and go. So I didn't really pay much attention to it right. for the first like two months. And then um, a few months in, it started to wake me up at night. Wow. Like okay. it, it would come and go. And then it, the pain was so bad. It would wake me up at night. Okay. And so I would, you know, wake up, it would hurt me. I would take some medicine and eventually the pain would subside and I would go back to sleep. Right. That was another like month. I still, it was getting a little weird. I, I, you know, I didn't really understand it at the time, obviously, but right. I was trying to ignore it. So I, you know, took the medicine, went to sleep and everything was fine the next day. Right. But during the, then, and then it progressed to during the day, I would have these like pain. I, would, I don't call them like pain attacks, but I wouldn't like, I would have these like real severe pains in my knee and I even wouldn't be able to sit at my desk. I would have to like wow. walk up and down the hallway in yeshiva and like go out of the classroom and like, and then I would take the medicine and finally I'd be able to sit back down. Right. And, you know, and then of course the same nights, my, it would wake me right. up at night again. Eventually when the medicine stopped helping and we right. just had to wait for the pain to subside. Right. I started to get really concerned. I was like, obviously something more is going on here because this is not stopping. Right. It's not just like a sports injury. It's just, you know, it's really must be something. This must be something more to it. I didn't really think of what right. it would be. Uh, okay. something more so we started going to doctors and a couple of them said you know no he's he's growing and they would take x-rays of my knee they wouldn't see anything and they would see right. the edge of the x-ray they would see my growth plates and my and which i had no idea what those were but now i understand a lot of different medical things but right you know they would see my growth plate they would show me at the end of this the x-ray they would see like oh there's still space so you're still growing maybe it's growing pains or whatever and like you know i i you know, I had to take their word, take them at their word, as we say. But, right. you know, I was like in my head, I was like, yeah, but and my parents were saying also like growing pains don't wake you up at night. That's weird. Right. So eventually we uh, eventually we went to um, an orthopedic surgeon who was very close with who's we were close with him in different ways. 
Okay. My parents knew him and I knew him a little bit and I got to know him obviously a lot more. Right. I credit him as the man who saved my life because he was the one who actually found what was really wrong. Wow. His name is Dr. Rafael Levine. He's an amazing, amazing tzaddik. And yeah. he's an amazing diagnostician, really. Okay. So he, he took x-rays and he, he didn't tell us he saw anything, but he, he basically said, he didn't tell us he saw anything on his x-rays, but he was right. like, obviously there's pain coming from something, so I'm not really sure what it is. So he, want, he wanted me to go to, I should go to the local hospital uh, in Muncie and get a, he's like, you can get this test at any hospital, doesn't matter. But he wanted me to get a full body bone scan, which is basically a full body x-ray. Right. And one, one shot. I mean, it goes from my head all the way down slowly. Wow. Feet, and it's like a complete body x-ray all at once. And if there's anything anywhere, it would show up on this test. Okay. And then um, a week or so later, he uh, he called up my parents and I was and he uh, basically said that he's like, I want to send these results to um, some doctors that I know at Memorial Sloan Kettering Cancer Center. And that was the first time the word cancer was mentioned to me right you know i was gonna ask you i was gonna ask you the when when the pain started like when the pain started and it it it, like this happened at night and then during the day and what type of medication were you taking to help it subside because what what were the medications back then <clears throat> I wasn't really taking anything major at the time. I was never, I'd never taken any, right? Like, apart from maybe, I don't even know. I, I don't even, I haven't even, I didn't really have so many severe injuries before that. So right. I'd never really taken any like serious painkillers. And honestly, I was just taking, I couldn't even take Motrin because I've been allergic to Motrin since I was a Oh, cancer. wow. So I wasn't even taking Motrin. So you were taking pretty I taking, much, I, I was like, taking basically Tylenol. Tylenol. And, and that wow. eventually, that's what really stopped helping. It wasn't really, it right. wasn't much. It wasn't, it wasn't like a crazy drug or anything. Right. Just taking Tylenol and then eventually stopped. And that's when we got to the whole, you know, process. But the, right. but during the whole process of, of when I was feeling the pain and going back and forth and my mother was taking me to all the doctors and right. you know, we were all trying to like get answers. And I remember a conversation I had with her in the car was yeah. on the way to one of the doctors. She, okay. she had, cause this was like, obviously something was brewing here and we didn't know. Right. What and I think it was on the way to Dr. Levine's office even. She basically asked me straight up. She was just like, what are you, what's your worst fear? What are you most afraid of? Wow. So I said, what are you afraid that it could be? Like, what are you most afraid right. that it would be? You know, because obviously there's something. So right. she, I said, I said to her, I'm just afraid that it's something that can't be cured. I don't even know. We can't even find out what it is. And we're having such a, such trouble diagnosing it. That you know, I want to, I want it to be something that can be fixed, obviously. Right. And in my, in the back of my, I didn't want to, I, I was so afraid of this word the word cancer. I didn't even know how to express it to my mother. Right. But when I said to her, I just want it to be something that could be cured. The word cancer was like popping up in my head as the thing that can't be cured. Because I didn't know the most knowledge I had at this point of cancer was, was being a little kid in day camp. Right. Camp giving out these little things to collect money for high lifeline. Right. Like, you know, swimathon or whatever, whatever, however I collected back then, I didn't remember (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> but it was like it was like pictures of kids with like one of the son kids with cancer, right? Who you know, I I didn't know anything about them or anything about cancer or anything anything at all, right? So I was just you know I thought High Lifeline was a was an organization that you know Baruch Hashem was able to give these kids a a, a, a great summer in a in a camp somewhere, right? And unfortunately, they were going through these treatments. I didn't know what happened to them after. I at, to best of my knowledge, people who got cancer died. I had no right, right. 
So to my to my my answer to my mother was that I don't I basically didn't want it to be cancer either because I didn't right. think I could be cured. I didn't know what it was. I didn't know anything I didn't know anything about anything at the time. Wow. What year in what year was this whole thing going on? So you were in tenth grade in what year? So this was going for about eight months in two thousand and seven. Two thousand seven, the beginning of two thousand seven it started. Okay. And by the end of two thousand seven. Yeah, uh, October two thousand seven, Arab Sukkis. I wow. was be- and I followed the process with Doctor Levine. He had t- right. recommended we go to the doctor at Sloan and discuss it, and he should read the results and see what we have. Right. So he basically we met with him, and he basically said, you know, you either have a severe bone infection, or you have right. some sort of mass of some sort of cancer. We're not sure right. what it is. And we have to do a biopsy to check for sure. Okay. So, and this is Doctor Levine said this. Dr. Levine, no, no, he sent me to the oncologist in Sloan. Right. So who, who was the oncologist in Sloan that you went to? Dr. Myers, Dr. Paul Myers. Okay. And he basically said, you either have a really severe bone infection or it may be some sort of cancer. We're not 100% sure from the test, but we right. have to do an actual biopsy to take out a piece of it and test it right. and see what we're dealing with. Okay. And they recommended an open biopsy, which is they would actually make an incision, not just stick a needle in and grab some stuff. They would like right. actually make an incision, take a significant piece what they, you know, whatever they needed to test and, right. and, te- and check what was actually wrong. Okay. So Erev Sukkis 2007, in October 2007, I was officially diagnosed with osteosarcoma, which is a wow. very, it's a, it's called a bone cancer because it's a very, right. very dense um, form of cancer. Right. And at the time when I woke up from the biopsy, Mm-hmm. I just looked, I, I was like very groggy and I looked up at my, I think my sister was on my left side, my father was on my right side and I just grabbed somebody's hand and I looked at them and I said, is it what they think it is? Right. And they said, yes. And we wow. all just cried. Like we had no, I didn't even have to say cancer. Everybody knew like, yeah, you have wow. cancer. That was, you know, so I was diagnosed with, uh, with osteosarcoma okay. and then the doctors came in to discuss what, Treatment. We, what we were going to do about it. Right. And that's when I learned that there are actually options for people with cancer, Baruch Hashem, that can be treated and can be cured and can be, you know. Is sarcoma one of the, like, a, is it like a cancer that is, the survival rate is much better than any other types of cancer? Or is it one of those, like, hit and miss cancers, if you catch it in time? Um, yeah, so it seemed to be, it was, the way they explained it to me, it was one of those it's it's um it's it's found in adolescents okay. more than adults. Okay. And if it's caught early enough, it can definitely it would they that it definitely can be treated and and be uh, and be defeated. I guess wow. I guess you'd say. Okay. Well, you're you're here to tell the tale. So I'm, I'm here to tell the tale. So definitely that's that's true. So, it, was, it, it was a very significant mass because it was growing because I started having a pain and I ignored it for right. so long. Right. The cancer was found in my femur right above my knee. Wow, and the tumor itself was eight inches long. The femur is the biggest bone in a person's body. Right, I had obviously ample space for it to grow. Right, and the tumor itself was eight inches. It was a very big tumor, and they said we had to start treatment right away. And they started to explain to me what the treatment cycle would be like. So, what was the treatment cycle like in two thousand seven? Yeah, so they said the, the the recommendation they had for the protocol they called it the protocol for this right at the time was I would start with with uh, with three different types of chemotherapy. Wow, 
all okay. switched off different weeks and how they would administer them was different. But basically okay. I would have like two, a week and a half of, of, of administering the chemo. And then I would have like th- almost three weeks to recover. Right. And then another, and they would like, basically, basically the doctor explained to me they're they're going to inject you with a bunch of poison. They're going to wow. try to kill all the cancer cells that they could possibly kill and to shrink the tumor as much as possible. Okay. And basically try to keep me alive in the process. Wow. As much as, as you know, that's basically, that's basically what they explained. It's pretty so many words. Um, And, and were you hospitalized this whole time in MSK or no, the, were treatment, you... the treatment started out? I was, it was, it's outpatient treatment. I mean, I was, okay. I would go in, I'd basically be there all day. Right. Getting, you know, getting this chemo. And then the three weeks, even the three weeks recovery, I was still coming in for basically IV. Right. IV, just, but just basic IV solution. Just because they pumped me up with this, with this poison, they called it, with the stuff. Right. And then I would have like literally a week or two, uh, depending on how I was doing, of just IV solution just to flush it out of my system. Right. As fast. They, they got it in and they wanted to get it out as fast as possible. Right. And then after that, my, my body would react to it by my white cell count dropping severely to almost zero. Wow. And any fever that I got during that time, I would have to go directly to the hospital. So then I was in the hospital more often than not. I went into the hospital during those, during those, right. when, my, when my counts were down, I would just spike a fever at any point and just wow. go to the hospital. So, so this is still when you're in high school. So what happened, what happened when you, so you got the diagnosis, you, you started treatments and you were in and out of the hospital. How did that affect high school for JJ Isaac? So, I mean, in the beginning, it, it basically completely brought it to a halt because we had no clue right what we were what we were doing we had no clue mm-hmm. where you know we got thrown into this world of like medical and doctors and craziness so until we until we figured out what we were dealing with sorry yeah it's going us um until we figured out what we were dealing with we didn't really know what to do and i was obviously in the hospital so i wasn't going to school i wasn't really like in touch with my friends i was kind right. of like just thrown into this whole situation and eventually as we you know progressed and as we were able to deal with certain things and i was at home for extended periods of time. So I happened to be, I was very lucky. Um, that my, the school that I attended was literally five houses down from my house. It was on my, wow. Bed. Thank you. So, Beautiful. And in, in Muncie, that never happened, but right. it happens to be that the school bought this, uh, a mansion that used to be, it basically used to be a mansion, this house, and they converted it to the school. Right. And it was five houses down from me. So uh-huh. a lot of times, so sometimes depending how I was doing, depending on my status, whether I could okay. have visitors, I couldn't have visitors. Sometimes my rabbi would bring the class and he would actually give shear in my house. Wow. That's amazing. To, like for me to be able to interact. Right. And another thing that they did was we set up a, like a, a camera system, basically. It was like okay. a, almost like a surveillance camera in right. the classroom. Right. And if I was feeling up to it, I was able to log in at any time. Right. To listen to shear or listen to class or listen to whatever, just to be able to participate in some way. Wow. So you pretty much you, you did not, go back to the physical yeshiva and they they came to you a lot if you were healthy enough and able to be exposed to other people right no, if, I was, if, if i had if i my immune system was still you know right. stable somewhat stable i was able to have visitors if right. not, i would have to just be home and then you know right. they, they weren't 
had a, I had a great, great group of guys in my class. They would call me. They would, you know, we did, I think, you know, we'd do some video chats here and there. Right. I would be on the screen, you know, in the, with the classroom, right. with, the, with the camera, I mean, in the classroom. Yeah. So that was, you know, that was good. But otherwise I was, yeah, I was either in the hospital or home or wow. I did not go back to yeshiva for a very long time. Okay. We will be right back after words from our sponsor. Is your computer running slower than molasses? Are you desperate to salvage important data from your hard drive? Let's face it, IT work can be a nightmare at times. Whether it entails virus removal, server or network setup, networking and cloud backup, or simple laptop and desktop ongoing IT support. At VentureTech, we understand how essential your systems are to your daily life and we take the time to accurately diagnose every technical issue you're experiencing. Call us now for a consultation by dialing 347-603-0033 or shoot us an email to info at VentureTechComputers.com. And we are back on the Unique Perspective show. So you're, okay, so you're home, Baruch Hashem, then. And how did... Um, you get involved with um, Chai Leifan and eventually get get to Camp Simcha as a camper. So my first, I was diagnosed in October, which is the very beginning of, uh, of the right. school. So the summer was until right until June, July. So I had so when and when I was thrown into this whole world of you know medicine and doctors and and all kinds of stuff, we had no clue where to turn. Right, that's when Chai Lifeline really came into our lives and really helped us navigate everything and do what we needed to do and especially right. during the treatments which we'll get to you know yeah helping us get to helping us get to different doctors and different opinions and different right. you know, complicated issues with surgeries it really had a lot of people with a lot of different areas in a lot of different areas of high life like to help us with a lot of different things right they were really there for us and mostly be- and the mostly because volunteers also okay. coming to visit and just to right. you know help us help us smile a little bit through this whole ordeal Right, and then eventually, a lot of the volunteers that I met started to talk to me about Camp Simcha, and about right. and I had no, I didn't, I didn't. How I didn't old were you then? Treatment. How old were you in tenth grade? If I'm I may ask, I was sixteen when I was diagnosed, okay. and I didn't want to. I didn't want to. Like when I first got there, I didn't want to leave my room. Right, I was like so, like scared and new to this whole thing. I didn't want to leave my room, and these guys are trying to talk to me about going to camp, like right, with a bunch of kids who also have cancer. I had no clue what any of this was. So I was like. Wow. Very, you know, apprehensive about the whole idea but they had a whole year to work on me right and eventually <laughs> i went to camp yeah. wow okay um so during the year you had lots of treatments lots of i'm assuming surgeries also you had a lot of surgeries during that year or or no yeah not so many during the first year i had i had just one one major i had a couple of procedures here and there okay. one major major surgery basically what they said was the protocol is about 10 or 11 months, depending on how long, how the okay. treatment, how the, how I react to the chemo. Right. Um, and basically they would do a little more than half of the chemo before like a major corrective surgery. And then they would continue chemo after to basically this. And the surgery was what's going to, we're going to actually remove the tumor. Right. And the chemo they continued after would be to, you know, any stray cells that may have gone somewhere else in my body can hopefully the chemo after the surgery will take out, will, you know, wow. get rid of those cells. So basically that's how the, the protocol worked. So I had in January, 2008, mm-hmm. I had a major, major 
um, the first of the first of many, first of a, a bunch of surgeries, but first yeah. major surgery I ever had was um, was it was it was a it was a, basically a resection of my femur. They would remove the tumor, they would replace it with a with like a fake bone almost, and they would okay. fuse to each end of the bone, and they would remove the tumor properly, whatever. They had a whole big complicated thing how they did it. It was a lot of years ago already. I can't remember all the details, but right. okay. I remember the surgery itself was 14 hours. Wow. And it was a major job. And basically they, and my, the, my father told me when I woke up, he said a couple of hours ago, the doctor came out to us and said, your son is now cancer free. And we were all, you know, breathed a sigh of relief. And then I woke up from the surgery and, you know, I had to continue the chemo, obviously. Right. But we were, you know, moving in the right direction. So I was, by the time the summer rolled around, when I was going to camp, I was already officially cancer free, and I was just supposed to be recovering. Right. So I was on. I was on crutches still, because from the right. surgery, you know, I couldn't put weight on my leg. Right. But I was, you know, in the summer. By the time the summer came, I was going to. I, you know, they convinced me to go to camp, and I, um, I was already growing my hair back. I had lost right. my hair from all the chemo, but I was already growing my hair back. I was just getting some strength back. There was one weird thing about my whole recovery was that yeah. I was doing a lot of physical therapy, but right. my knee just it was was swollen and it was getting more swollen and mm-hmm. something was off about my knee and we weren't sure what but they basically for then said continue to physical therapy and continue and see how it goes through the summer so okay the summer it was just you know continued recovery and physical therapy right and i actually went back to i even went back i went back to yeshiva when the school year started i went back i went to yeshiva in in queens that i was talking right. to yeshiva in queens right. And I was, I moved into the door, I moved into the dorms and everything. And I was like trying to get back to being a regular kid again. Right. But I still had all this pain and I was still going to doctors at least once a month. Right. You know, so recently having had uh, this ordeal, this cancer. Right. But I was, you know, I was trying to reacclimate myself to regular, to back to regular life. Right. And then one of the, then I had, I had, and once a month, was was to see the doctor, but also at least once a month I was doing um, scans, follow up scans. Okay. okay. So they were noticing some things that were a little irregular, and then they took, um, they did a bone scan, and I think a PET scan. Okay. And on one of these, I forgot which, but on one of these scans, they saw that my uh, my the the graft, the bone graft that they put in. So my leg wasn't fusing right. to one of the sites of the surgery, one of the surgery sites. The right. okay. So it wasn't healing, basically. So they said that's probably the cause of the swelling, and there may be an infection there. So right. basically, they're going to go in and, you know, clean out whatever infection might be there, and just to fix it. And they may, they were going to take, um, they were going to actually cut, they were going to make a scar on my, on my hip, and actually take bone, live bone graft from me, and put it down b- near the, near the bottom of the femur, Right. Help the bone to to heal to fuse. Wow, that was their that was their that was their plan for that surgery. So it was a little it was a it wasn't a crazy like fifteen hours to fourteen hour surgery. Right. So it was a big surgery that they were going to take. Uh, you know, remove the bone graft, clean the infection. Hopefully that would you know correct the problem. And I woke up from that surgery. So this was also around. It kind of followed the same path as the first. Right. Surgery. I was I was it was right around October, right around Sukkot time. Yeah. It was even I think it was even Cholamid. It was, it was it was right before I think it was right before Sukkot also. Okay. And I um I went in for the surgery, and you know they went over the whole plan again. They 
told me what was going to go on. And I woke up from the surgery and there was a few doctors in my room. My parents were there. Okay. When, when, doctors are in, when doctors are in the room, it's not a good sign. It was too, yeah, there was too many people in the room. And I, and I, even right when I woke up, I was like, something's not right here. And I actually even, I even looked at my, I even looked at my hip and I was like, wait, there's no scar here. What happened? Like they didn't do the bone graft. Right. You know? And at the time, I think my father like noticed my face and noticed what was going on. It happens to be my Rebbe was there when my very close Rebbe, he was there and he was standing with my father. My father, I remember my father told me this after he was like, he was talking to my Rebbe and he's like, what, what am I going to tell JJ? He's going to figure this out. Like, what, you know, we got to tell him, we got to, you know, so what was he, what was he not telling me? So the doctors basically said that um, when they went in to clean out the infection, they actually found that the cancer had grown back again. Oh my gosh. So I would have to, so I would have to start a new protocol of treatment and basically it would have, it was even more intense chemo, you know, stronger chemo and different, you know, things. And, and, the, and you would have the same, I would have the same uh, process as the first year was basically chemo, surgery, chemo. But the surgery in the middle was where the big debate would come up of what type of surgery to do. Because most of the doctors were recommending, it came back in your leg for a second time. Like, we want to eliminate that possibility. Right. We have to remove as much, as much of, we have to move the odds in our favor as much as we can. So right. basically my, my oncologist was recommending that I get a full leg amputation, like straight right. up. There's no, there's no two ways about it. You have to do this. You know, you don't want to have cancer again, obviously. So, you know, we were, that was what we were faced with at the time, but we started, I had to start uh, the chemo right away. Right. And do whatever I could to, you know, help, help, uh, help shrink, just again, shrink the tumor, get the whole thing back. And it was in, it was in my knee. So it wasn't like they, right. could, they could rebuild the knee, but it was like, was much more difficult and the first time they didn't get enough margins so they were very worried about it they were just like yeah full leg amputation hip disarticulation the whole deal like you know complete leg amputation everything and it was like you know for for them there was no debate about it right by the time by the time the chemo was you know coming the by the time the chemo protocol was coming closer to the surgery time that's when we started like we basically traveled the world okay. uh, looking for it wasn't really the world we went to israel and we wow. went to a few different states just to talk to different doctors in terms of what my options might be for um, surgery. If there was any and, less invasive option or any. And what, what were the options? So at the time, so there was options were. Besides, besides the full leg amputee. Right. That was the first. Which option. we'll get to. And I had a friend who had gone through treatment right before me who recommended he had a very good surgeon. He recommended him. He wasn't in Sloan, but he was in one of the nearby hospitals in New York City. And he okay. helped us get an appointment with him. And he, we went to see him and he actually recommended that I can do what's called an above knee amputation, which still okay. leaves me with some right. leg, you know, to actually use inside a prosthetic. He was explaining to me what a prosthetic would mean and all that, which we'll get to because I have a, yeah. uh, I wear a prosthetic. Right. And he was explaining to me, you know, what that would mean, but he basically said it's a completely different life, you know, just at least to have some. Right. Let limb there just to be able to control the prosthetic better, just to be able to walk properly and have a more normal life with a prosthetic. He said, there's no reason you need a hip disarticulation, which was the full leg amputation. Right. It's called. Uh, and he said, there's no reason for that. I don't think that's, I don't think that's uh, necessary. He wouldn't say it was wrong, but he was like, I don't think it's necessary. Right. And even I would, I could, I could even recommend to you that you can have a limb sparing surgery. You could have, you could save your leg. 
and they would just rebuild the leg from the knee to the hip and rebuild right. the inside. And he, that whole him and him and his mentor were actually at the at the forefront for at the time of building technologies for limb sparing surgeries. Wow. This doctor himself was doing it for uh, for shoulders, so the person wouldn't have to lose their arm. It was like building, like you know, basically synthetic or I don't know, synthetic, but titanium shoulders. Wow! For people to be able to still have their arms and use right. them and everything else. And he said, "If you don't, and if you don't believe me, I'll send you. I'll basically, I, I will send you to my mentor, who's a who's the chief of orthopedic surgery in Washington D.C." Wow! And I was, it was Thursday. This was a Thursday. I remember this because this was a Thursday night, and it was two thousand eight. Right. So it was the it was, an ele- it was an election year and the inauguration was going to be on Monday. Oh, wow. So if we went to DC on Monday, we wouldn't, first of all, we wouldn't get in. And if we got in, right. we wouldn't get out. Right. So it was Thursday night. So we, he called up this doctor, his, his teacher on his personal cell phone. Yeah. That was an appointment for the next morning at 10 o'clock. Wow. In Washington. In Washington. Yeah. yeah. So we had to drive. So we drove. It was winter, by the way, winter shower. Right. So getting back to Muncie after a 10 o'clock appointment in Washington on winter Shabbos. That's, that's I was, cutting I, 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 was, I was having a bunch of, of high lifeline Hebra over at my house for Shabbos. Oh, it, was nice. big, it was a big, yeah, it was a big trip. So we went <laughs> and we actually woke up at five in the morning in Muncie. Okay. Drove down to Washington and we spoke to him. And basically what he said was he was, you know, echoing what his student had told us right. before was that, you, yeah, you can do it above knee amputation without a question. And you could, if you wanted to do a limb sparing uh, surgery, you could, you know, save your leg. But he explained to me the limitations of that in terms of being able to live a certain way. If you wanted to, you know, if I wanted to be more active, I wouldn't, I would, the, with the limb sparing surgery, I wouldn't, I would never be able to run again. I would never be able to be as active as I wanted. Right. And as time was progressing, since I, since I had got the news, since I got the news of, of the second cancer and having that, I would probably have to have an amputation. Right. I was doing research on prosthetics and what life is like with prosthetics for months already. Right. And the videos I was seeing, especially then of like, you know, of, you know, soldiers coming back from the war and getting, right. you know, prosthetic legs, prosthetic limbs. And they were, they were soldiers and they were doing like all kinds of crazy things. They were running, they were, they were, they were riding bikes, they were running, they were playing sports, they were mountain climbing. So like if a person could still be that active with a prosthetic and it would lower the chances, you know, actually removing the leg would lower the chances of it coming back, obviously. So I wanted to do, you know, something in between. That's where I was. That's where I was at. I wasn't sure that I wanted to do the limb sparing surgery. Right. Said, you have to make, you have to make the choice. And my parents said to me, like, this is a choice you have to make. It's up to you how you want your, you know, how you basically, how you want to live your life. Wow. So, uh, we, so we left that, we left that appointment and we actually made, made plans to, um, later that the later little a little after that we made a, we made plans to go to Eretz Yisrael, right? Just to collect brachas and to right. you know speak to different you know medical people and speak to all the rabbanim that we could go po- and all the rebbe's we could possibly go to and all the all the rabbanim we could possibly get appointments in just right. to get brachas and chizuk and so we actually yeah I was going to ask you did you did you like go go to Gedolim uh, and did you did you yeah, ask yeah. ask them the Shaila what oh so, yeah we actually presented the Shaila to a few of them and some of them some of them answered some of them didn't some of them just gave me brachas you can have a Shalema you know brachas right. was very good right the, the one we did go to that was really you know major that we really asked the Shaila to we gave him you know every all the all the pratim of the Shaila. Right. Was Chaim Kanievsky's itself. Okay. Wow. And we actually got 
I got, well, first, we tried, we first tried to like okay. give him all the, all the stuff. And we had a whole paper with my name and everything. And it was a very, it was, it was a very like, you know, how they get people through. You, you go in. Right. It's one, two, three. You, right. Yeah, one, two, three. Off and you go. You know, so that was, that was the first interaction. And he said, you know, he said, he said, So that was, was a little extra, even from, a, you know, from a right. big, big deal. But the Gabai who, who, uh, who we became, who we became very close with through uh, a neighbor of ours, a neighbor mm-hmm. of my parents, when this Gabai comes to America, he stays at this, at this neighbor's house. Okay. So when we were going to Israel, he said, I'm going to get you in touch with this guy and he's going to take you to Rukhaim. He's going to take care of you. So he became, because of this neighbor of ours, he became right. friends with us and he was like taking care of us. And he saw on my face that I was like, I was a little bit dejected. Like I wanted to like hear something because I was right. suffering really so much. I wanted to hear something more. I needed a little more, you know, he saw in my face. I needed a little more. Right. So he, he asked me, he said, when are you guys leaving here to show? I said, we're leaving next Thursday. Whenever the Gabai, the Gabai. The Gabai said, when are you leaving here to show? Yeah, the Gabai. Okay. When are you mm-hmm. leaving here to show? So I said, we're leaving next Thursday, whatever the, you know, whatever the day was. Mm-hmm. And, you know, midnight flight out of Israel on Thursday. We get back for Shabbos. Right. Um, so he said, before you go to the airport, come back. Okay. He gave us, he gave us a time to come back. And he took us around the back of Rebbeim's house, all the way to the, the back stairs, all the way upstairs to his private yeah. private study, and yeah. where nobody else goes. And we had, he had someone in there right before us who was like getting a special special bracha. And at the time, and we walked in, and we see we actually see a person with a camera. So he he hired because he he really wanted to take care of us, and right. how I felt, he actually hired a photographer to take pictures of my meeting. Wow! With him. wow. And so while they're, the photographers they're setting up the camera. He didn't want to like waste time by replying, so he starts asking him questions. He's like, "Is there something that this bacher can do as a zechus for his leg?" And he started telling him the shaila and asking things. So, but the first thing Rebbeim said was, "Yeah, he should learn hilchas cholamayid." <laughs> it's very random, not really sure. So he said, "So what's pshat? Why?" He said, "Because it's a it's a gemara in uh, in Yerushalmi, Ma'isasheni, and it's a medrash in Echazuta." Okay. And he actually, we have pictures. He actually, I was like to learn a piece of gemara with Rebbeim. Wow! And he showed us the Gemara, and he explained to us the chat. Basically, there's a there was a whole story in the Gemara about different people having different ailments with their legs, and the end of the Medrash echoes the Gemara. The end of the Medrash says, "Mida kineged mida regal beregal," and the Gemara calls Moyed uh, Moyed regal. Right. If you were if you were the person was Mavaz of the Moyed, he wouldn't have what to eat, and he, he showed his leg in a dream a certain way that he had something wrong with his leg. So you know the people that were Mavaz of the Moyed Rachmanoslan were 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 inflicted with this leg with this ailment in their legs, so in the, in their dream. So, so Rebekiva Rebekiva was the time Rebekiva was answering them. Midikinegad mida regal beregal that you're that you're because you're, right. so so in order to you know counteract any you know um, ailments of the regal, he recommended hilchas chalamayid. So so that was my. That's my daily, you know, after Shachas, I learned a little sif of, of, of Wow. You know, that's my, every day, and that's my thing. He said, like, you put on tefillin every day, you should learn and think of Hilch Salmite every day. It's like, you know, so that was, okay. so that was that. And he, and we explained to him the whole Shaila. And of, and, and at the, at that point, I had already come to terms with the fact that I would have to have my, have my leg amputated in some way. Right. So I had, to, I basically, I told her, I said, listen, I, I think that best for me, what I feel is, you know, he usually if well, I shouldn't even say, it, but first let me preface like this. Yeah. Usually if a person comes to Chaim with two two different sides, two different opinions, and one is like much more severe than the other, 
he'll he'll find some way to get he'll he'll steer you in the direction of doing the of doing the, the let, easier option you know? right so and i said i i don't necessarily the easiest option was the limb sparing surgery and i would keep my leg and i would have right you know basic functionality but i explained i said i wanted to eliminate the chances of the cancer coming back as much as i could as much as i possibly could and i right. still wanted to have some sort of normal you know living so I felt that living with a prosthetic wasn't as bad as, as this other, these other two options. So he said, he, he said, you should, should be about Tzlacha and you should go with that option. Def, you know, you could do the above knee amputation instead of the full leg amputation, right. instead of limb sparing, go with that middle, the middle option, basically. And, and that's what we did. Wow. We booked the surgery with, uh, with the surgeon that my friend had recommended. It was in, right. in Mount Sinai Hospital in New York City. And January... 19th 2009 wow you remember that date that's yes. that's quite amazing i do, I do. that is yes <laughs> wow we will be right back after words from our sponsor paraflight better care in the air when you need urgent medical attention or transport you deserve peace of mind. Based on the East Coast, ParaFlight is a full-service medical transport company dedicated to providing dependable, compassionate, and customized care and service to patients and medical teams worldwide. Founded by emergency medical professionals, we understand the sensitive, critical needs of medical teams, patients, and their families. We transport patients and teams from tertiary care facilities, hospital to hospital, or any other destination across the United States and beyond. Our team never compromises on safety or quality of care, following a patient-first, not profit-driven model of care. This ensures you get the exact customized medical transport solution you need. Check us out online at www.paraflight.aero. Call us today, 844 538-1911 or send an email to info at paraflight.aero And we are back on the Unique Perspective show. What did it feel like waking up after that surgery? So it's very interesting. Actually, going into, going into surgery, so yeah. they have, first of all, they have the entire team comes in and actually signs their name on my leg. This is literally literally the only reason they do this is so that they don't amputate Rechon's line. They don't amputate the wrong leg. Right, okay. They make sure they get the right, the, the right. left one in this case. <laughs> um, they want to make sure they get the left one. I, I, was, the right. I was thinking <laughs> that they would, they're giving you the leg as a, as a, as a, as a memorial for you. <laughs> so, so they, so they all came in and they explained what was going to happen and it's funny when 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 I woke up from surgery, I had like this. It sort of looked like a cast, right? Like laying next to me, laying in front of me, really. What, and, I, when I, and I woke up, I wasn't in pain because they they had to give me. They right. gave me what's called a femoral block, which is a which is an injection of pain medication directly into my spinal right. cord from my from my waist the down. Spinal cord. Wow. Okay. From my waist down, I didn't feel anything because wow. the pain would be too severe to wake up to. So right. I had to do some sort of you know major painkiller. So that's okay. what they did. And the other thing that they did was it looked like sort of like a cast that was right. like in front of me where my leg would, my leg should be technically. Because if my eye, they said, if my eyes wake up and don't see a leg, your brain could go into shock because you went to sleep right. with your legs. Right. Completely, you know, 
So I went to sleep with two legs. I went, they put me to sleep with two legs for surgery. And I wake right. up with one, my brain could actually go into shock. So right. they build this like artificial, just so my eyes could see something there. To like okay. get my brain used to the fact that I just had this major, you know, right. I was in bed for three days. Okay. And, you know, the doctors, of course, were coming in saying, oh, the physical therapist is going to get you out of bed today. I'm like, yeah, sure. Sure they are. <laughs> Not happening. It's one of those, you know, because once they took off the, the leg major painkiller i was like okay this is not uh-uh. uh-huh. so, wow. so um so they did they did eventually get me out of bed they took off this cast uh thing and actually still have it it's funny um so they took it and i was able to you know kind of hop and walk around right. you know getting used to my new your new life new normal i guess they call it yeah so after surgery and whatever how long you were in the hospital for like three days, three, four days? How long were you there for? Well, no, after the surgery, I was in the hospital for about a month. Oh, wow. Yeah, I was still, I was there for about it because I had to, I had to recover and then I had right. to start chemo as soon as possible because they had to continue the chemo. Right. And so I actually started it not in Sloan. I started it when I was still recovering in Mount Sinai. In Mount Sinai. My treatment there for a while. So I stayed in while I started the chemo up again. Wow. And then eventually I was able to to go home and, and recover a little more. Yeah. Wow. Wow. So this is all in 2009, right? If I'm not mistaken. This, yeah, this, this January this 2009 that I just started. And this is where I was at. at in two, and I continued chemo until about June of that year. And then I was officially supposed to be, you know, I was, I was officially cancer free again and everything was, you know, wasn't back to normal, but it was a new right, new, new normal, new normal. My second summer in camp Simcha was then, and I and I was trying to get my strength back, and right. I just because I was doing chemo and the surgeries and everything, it was it was a it was like it was like I cut it really close, but I I just just got my my first prosthetic right before the summer. Right, so I was going to ask you when did you get your first prosthetic? Yeah, I, I think it was, and how was that? How maybe, did maybe that chemo was, work? The chemo may have been until May, and then like it was like a month or two. How did that feel, getting a prosthetic leg? It was interesting because I, I was, you know, I was under this false impression that like because of all the research I did and all the videos I was seeing, you know, of all these people walking around with prosthetics, I thought it was just like you know, you, you know, clip it on or however you get it on. I don't know. Right. Or they clip it on and they just like you know, okay, then you walk again. It's like oh. right. But it's a lot more complicated than that, and. I had to, it's actually, it's basically one big, it's a big suction cup that like right. holds on to my, whatever limb is there. I have seen it. I have uh, seen it. Yes, it's pretty, exactly. it's pretty, it's pretty cool. The audience pretty cool. It's this big <laughs> suction thing that holds yeah. on to my leg. And from there I control it. Probably right. the size changes or the weather, even the weather affects it. Now, right. in some respect, even now, like I'm 15 years later, the weather still affects it a lot. Right. You know, so, it, and it was in the very beginning, it was like just, just my first time. So right, take a few steps and it would come off, and it was like I was very, very frustrating in the beginning using prosthetic. But by the time the summer came around, I was it was a few weeks already. I was doing a lot of intense physical therapy with it, and I was like really right. progressing pretty fast. And I was able to walk, basically walk with it. I had like I think I still had crutches or a cane with it, but I was able to basically walk by the time the summer came around. Was there someone in your life uh, then that? Also had a prosthetic that you were friends with, or 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 you didn't, and 
how did that come? I know you are friends with someone that has a prosthetic. Yeah, how did so that? To be, yeah, so um, there's a guy. His name is Yitzi Hamer. Amazing guy. Right. Yeah. He came to when he hurt when I had known him from before. Right. He came to visit me a couple of times in the hospital. I know I knew him from from a few years before that. Okay. Um, and when he heard that I was having the surgery, he drove he drove right away. His, he lives in Long Island. He drove right away, all the way to Muncie. It was like wow. a Muncie Shabbos or something. It was the middle of the night, basically yeah. in the middle of the night. He okay. drove right away to Muncie, came to my house, and he like even took off, took off his prosthetic and he showed me everything. He was like telling me how what it's like to walk with it and and how it is and and what it feels like and how things are different, how they're better, how they're not better. You know, different types of options for prosthetics. And it was like the very first introduction I had. But it was an amazing, it was an amazing chizuk to see somebody like him, right. You know, walking around, married with kids, right. Um, you know, and has and 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 functions with a, with a prosthetic, in the very similar situation to me. Like, did he also have the same type of cancer that he that did. you had? He did. Yeah. Oh wow. And that's when I started to really believe that, like, okay, I could I could do this. You know, like, right. I could, it, you know, it's going to be hard, and it's and obviously I didn't understand it until I was wearing the prosthetic how right. frustrating it could be and how difficult it could be to get used to it. But I was. It was the first glimpse that i had that I, I i really could i could i could i think i could do this you know wow so back in june of 2009 june or july whatever it was you went up you went back up to camp and you were still a camper obviously right because you were yeah. still in in yeah, it was my second summer treatment um who I, I know you were very good friends i don't know if you still are but he was in camp then ari atherstein how did you sure. get to him? I mean, he, obviously he was in camp as a counselor and staff, but did you know him like the first year that you were in camp or you only got to know him in 2009? Yeah. So the first year, the fir when I first started treatment, he was one of the volunteers that would actually come to visit me in the hospital. Oh, okay. He was one of the major, one of the guys that really was pushing me to come to camp. Got it. Time. Mm -hmm. yeah. I haven't spoken to him in many, many years, but... I still, we still try to get in touch every once in a while. Somehow it never works out. Right. Um, but he, he was a, he was an amazing, amazing, amazing friend. And he really got me through a lot and he got through and he got me to, camp. he was one of the guys who got me to camp. Right. Yeah. Um, so then 2009. Okay. What after 2009, after camp in 2009, what did you went back to Yeshiva or what did you do then? Yeah, yeah. So I actually went back. It was first year Miss Madrish. I went okay. I was like getting used to walking around normally. Right. I was functioning a lot better with the prosthetic and yeah. happens to be the prosthetic, the office that I was going to for prosthetics, you know, for building the prosthetic and everything. Right. Was actually in Long Island. Oh, wow. Time. Um, so I was in Queens for Yeshiva. So it wasn't right. a far ride. If I needed right. anything, I'd go back, you know, I'd go get adjustments, whatever, you know, things like that. So it was first year Miss Medrash, and I was I wanted to you know just get back to being a, a normal kid, right? Normal guy. So I I uh, I went back to yeshiva. I tried my best to like throw myself back into yeshiva as much as I could, right? But when I was able to be there, I was you know otherwise right. I was at the doctor or whatever. But whenever I was in yeshiva, I was try I tried to you know be in yeshiva, and it was right. uh, it was very good. It was a great year. Um, still very very close with my rabbi from that year. Okay, he's uh. He he also helped me give me a lot of chizuk and a lot of, and um, 
and it was a full it was my first full full year because i had two years where right going back and forth with doctors and then i was diagnosed with cancer again it was right. my first full year of completely being clean clean i didn't have any issues i had i had doctor's appointments once a month or more and right. the scans were clear and everything was good and the, the entire year was 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 amazing it's great and i you know was starting to get back into things and starting to get back to life and everything else and then i went back to camp some actually enough for another summer right. that year as a camper and then i went back to yeshiva again for a second year right. and during second year bismedrish right after right after rosh hashanah one of right before Rosh Hashanah, one of my scans came up. They did saw something they didn't like in my lungs, actually. So they wow had to they had to do some kind of a, a surgery. So they 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 were gonna remove whatever they saw, and they were like, "Yeah, it might not be it. it, might be something else, whatever." But they they said basically, you could they 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 took it out and they tested and it was and the cancer came back for a third time. Right. I, 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 I I'm just gonna in, interject. Yeah, yeah, I remember when everyone heard that the, new, the news that JJ had cancer again for the third time. That was it was it was head head over heels. It was, it was heavy. It was very heavy. Yes. Yeah, we were. So the doctor at the time said you could, you know, you could people can it can come back in the lungs, and that's why we're seeing it now. Right. Um, people can live with, you know five or six or seven chest surgeries, just removing the tumors as they come back. And they don't necessarily have to do anything about it. Okay. Uh, that's what people do. And you know, sometimes people do that. So I said the first time I was like, I had enough chemo and enough, all this crazy other stuff. I was just like, just take it out. Just get, just, just get it over with. Just do it already. Let's go. You know, I was like, I was so, I wanted, I was just, just getting back to being normal again, whatever normal means with a right. aesthetic and everything else. But I was just getting back to being myself. I was like, just, just take it out. Just go. And so they took out the, the tumor. Yeah. And then I had, and I was, you know, recovered from that surgery. It wasn't, wasn't as complicated. It was, a, you know, they were, they basically removed a, a section of my lung. They didn't want to do margins. There's three, there's three pockets in everybody's lung. Okay. Took the, on the right side of my lung, the, the upper part. And they took it out. They just took out the entire piece. So I have like half a lung on one side. They just, they were like, you, yeah, we're not taking margin. We're not doing anything. We're not taking out the actual tumor. We're just taking out the piece. We're like, let's go, you know? So I said, okay, listen, if that's what we have to do to, to, and this was the third time. So they didn't want to take any chances. Right. So they took it out and I recovered from that surgery and I went back to Yeshiva and again, tried to get back to everything. I wasn't doing any treatments at the time. So it was right. okay. But, um, and then, I was doing scans again, like I said, once a month at least. Right. And right after, I think it was right before the summer, like around Shavuos time, like eight or nine months later, they saw another mass on my lungs again. So this was number four. Right. And so they couldn't, they couldn't take out any more of my lungs. So they had to actually take the tumor out. But they said, we're going to take out. And this time we recommend that you should actually do something about it. Like you should try to... There's all kinds of, you know, new therapies being developed, right. new clinical trials. You should, we recommend, there's like three of them we can choose from. And like, this is one we most recommend, whatever it was, and you should do it. And it was basically a, a shot, an, uh, not a shot, an infusion once a week. Yeah. And 
was like it was it was the begin the very beginning. Now they're used all the time, but this is this right. is the very beginning of I think it's what they call immunotherapy, where like basically these types of treatments are designed to teach the person's own immune system to fight cancer on its own. Wow. This was like the introduction to that and, whole thing. That was and this is this was about. the this was the f- trial that our friend also took, right? Uh, Benjamin Weinrand, right? I don't remember. I don't know if this was the same one. Could be. Yeah. There was a lot of them at the time. So I don't know. Okay. But I don't remember. But there was. So I joined this this trial, and yeah. I I was doing. So basically, every it was my schedule became that every Thursday I would go for this. I would go from yeshiva to this uh, to get this uh, treatment, and from there I would go home for Shabbos and recover and go back to yeshiva. Right. That was my you know my basic schedule for that what, year. What were the side effects of that trial? Um, so I had in the hospital, they expected Meaning, I, like, I, I would like, have like, like, like my body. Like, would, it was like a, it was basically a, a, a very, um, uh, very strong immune response, a strong okay. immediate immune response. Okay. So I would have like tremors and shakes and everything. And they would give me a uh, medication to stop that because they knew that the, my body was reacting to the medicine. And right. once, once my body was calmed down, everything else, I was able to leave and go home and recover. That was, mm-hmm. it was very, it was much, much less intense obviously than all the chemo i had went through right and it was only once a week and it didn't affect my uh, my white blood cells or anything it was very it was much less of a much less invasive i guess wow and i did that for a few months i don't remember how long it was, it was a long time ago and um we completed the trial and my scans were coming up clean the whole time Hashem. and i went through another Basically, another year it was pretty clean. It was, it was, you know, basically clean. It was almost, not pretty. It was it was clean, but it was almost a year. It wasn't completely right. Yeah. Okay. And and then towards the end of that time, I was going for another scan, and they actually saw another mass came back on my sternum, which is the center, the breastbone, center of your chest, where your ribs come together. It was actually on the bone again. So this wasn't like in my lungs, where it was like right. tissue. Just take it out. Right. Yeah, this was another. It would be another major surgery because they would have to actually open up my chest and like remove part of the bone or remove some. They would have to do something major. So they and there was no chemo's left that I could do. So I couldn't do chemo even if they wanted to. Right. But I was. I couldn't anyway. My body was. They said my body was completely. We don't have any chemo's to offer you, and your body can't take them anymore. So there's no. So they recommended another clinical trial to go on. So I started. I um. And they recommend I do the surgery first and then start this, right. this, this new medication. So I went to one of the, I went to the chief of thoracic surgery at, at Sloan Kettering, who had basically two options for me. There was something, there was a, um, a certain type of needle, a radioactive radiation, not radioactive, a radiation uh, needle that could stick in and mm-hmm. actually like almost explode or, or just dissipate the tumor, basically destroy the tumor Okay. Right with this needle and much less invasive surgery, but they, 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 he thinks it would react well and would be able to do it. The only issue is that using such a needle so close to my heart would endanger my, would endanger my heart, my health, my heart, my life, right. possibly, you know, it was much more risky. The other option was just to do an open chest surgery, remove the sternum and replace it with whatever they replace it with right? cement and wire and whatever, however they held it together. <laughs> but that's basically what it is. Yeah. Um, and uh, and that was like less risky, I guess, but much more, you know, much more invasive surgery. Right. 
So this was actually another, the second time we planned the trip to Eretz Yisrael. We went back to all the Gedalim to get brachas again. Right. And we actually brought, with uh, this time, we actually brought, um, there's a, a doctor in B'nai Brak who takes care of Rebchayim, took care of Rebchayim a lot at the time. So we actually were able to get in touch with him and bring him with us to explain, you know, in like the best, to explain the medical terminology and the medical situation right. in a way that Rebchayim would really you know, understand somebody that he right. talks to all the time, especially about medical things, his doctor. So we actually brought him in, and he was able to explain to Reb Chaim the different uh, the different options. And Reb Chaim gave us a bracha that we should do the the just the open chest surgery and don't risk the heart or anything. Right. That and Reb Hashem, I would I would have a full recovery before Shlema. And he said, "You're going to get married. You're going to have children. Give me a real straight bracha like that. You're going to get married. You're going to have children, Shem and." And he'll have a, a long, I think he's living a long life. And with Steinman, he said the same thing. It was very, it was very, very big. Uh, At that point, big, you needed big, all those brachas. Uh, if, if I'm not, if not, if I'm not mistaken, it's at least five times, four or five times. This is the fifth. Yeah, this was the fifth. And oh, and I didn't mention the first, in the first trip, we had gone to um, David Abuchatzera. This was a, oh, wow. a part of the story I wanted to mention also. Yeah. During the first trip, I was about to have this um, this leg uh, amputation surgery. Right. We were just explaining the situation to him, and we said, you know, this was um, this was the situation. This was what was happening, and he said, and and I was crying. My father was crying to him, like, "What are we going to do?" You know, and he was holding our hands. He said, "I'm going to daven for you. It's going to be okay. Don't worry." And 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 um, he'll have Rafu Shlema. It's going to be good. And 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 then and he gave us a big brachas and and a lot of really nice. Really, really good physic. We spoke with him for I don't know, probably ten minutes or so, yeah. or more. And um, and he at the end of the first meeting I had with him that year, that that first trip I went with, I went to Israel. Right. He said, as we're leaving, he says, "Oh, by the way, when it comes back in your lungs, don't worry, you'll be fine." That's and I didn't even like it didn't register in my head. I didn't <laughs> and my father, like we heard him, and we were like, "What's going on?" And of course, my father tell my mother waited outside, and my father tells my mother, and he's like, "They're both going crazy. Like, what's the deal? Why did he tell us this? What's this? Whatever. We didn't, we couldn't think about it right then, but at least he gave us, you know, brachas and chizuk, and that's what we held on to. And it happens to be there was a guy right behind us in the line <laughs> who followed me outside, and he said, "I want, I just want you to know something. I know you might, you seem like you're worried about something, but I want, just want you to know something. I, I live here in this area of Israel, and I, I come yeah. to David every single week before Shabbos, and I get brachas from him." I have not seen him give brachas like that to anybody ever. Wow. The son's going to be fine. Like that's what he, he said. And he walked away. That was it. Wow. Wow. For that, was, that, was, that, was, that, was, that was a big like physics for us also. Right. So, but now for jumping Rabdav, back, but for Rabdavid, for Rabdavid to say something like that to you and like, like to be shocked. Yeah, that's also, that's, I wasn't sure what to make of it. I was just, at the time, I was like completely lost. I had no clue what it meant, and we couldn't worry about it. Like it's going to come right. back. What do you mean? Like you know, I'd only I had cancer, you know, twice, twice already, and I was like, "What's going on?" Like, okay, whatever. You know, I, I couldn't think about it. You know, so we put it wow. out of our minds at the time, and then obviously came back in my lungs twice, and then the sternum. So right before <laughs> the, the big surgery, the sternum, right there to start. Like I was saying, yeah, and we went back to Rebdavid. I mean, one of the trips was we went we went to Prime, obviously, like I said, right. One of the one of the appointments we had was with David again. So we went to, to Rabbi David and he we went inside and we told him I told him my name again and I started telling him the story mm-hmm. and then he finished the story for me like he remembered me 
Wow. I, I said I had cancer in my in my in my leg, and then it came back in my leg, and I was having amputation, and then oh, and it, and it came back in your lungs, right? Like that's what he said to me. I was like, yeah, yeah, that's me, you know. And and did I said, you and tell, I did you tell him that, my, what? Did you did you tell him that it came back twice in your lungs? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I said it came back once, and then they did surgery, and then it came back again, and and he he was like shaking his head. He was like hearing, listening to this, you know, listening to what I was saying, and then. And then I said, now it's in my, my sternum and it's in the middle of my chest. And they were, you know, wondering what surgery to do. And I think we're going to, you know, do the surgery, with uh, open surgery. And I was explaining the whole story, whatever. And, and I, I was, I was, I was like also crying again. I was like, I had suffered so much until now, right. seven years of just treatments and, and surgeries and craziness. Yeah. I just looked at him and I said, is this ever going to end? Like, when is right. this over? Am I, am I, I just asked him that. I was just like, it was very, you know, very candid. I didn't know what else, how else to say it. I just said, right. Is this ever going to you know be over? And he looked at me and he he closed his eyes for a second. He was holding my hand, and he said, uh, "He said, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now it's finished. Don't worry." I said, he said, "I'll take it." <laughs> okay, I don't know what that means. I don't know what you know. I don't know what that's supposed to mean or anything. I was just I, I needed you know maybe right. I to hear right at that moment, but you know right. I, I heard it from him, so I was I got some physics from that. Wow, and you know? how, how many years ago was this? So this now we're in twenty twenty three. I don't exactly remember. It's a lot of years ago, and there's a lot of things all at the same time. I don't remember exactly right. when it was. <laughs> wow, wow! So cancer, cancer survivor five times. You, yeah, do you, do you know, five times. Do you know anyone else in our circles that had cancer and survived five times? Personally, no. I don't. Wow. And unfortunately, many of the. Uh, Many of the really, really close, close friends, the closest bonds that a person could possibly make is when a person's going through a hard time. Right. Somebody else is going through a hard time as well. Together with them, those are some of the closest friendships a person can make. And unfortunately, I had nine friends, some of them younger than me. Some of them were as young as five or six years old. Right. They were going through the treatments with me. Some of them were a little older than me, 30, 32, 35. And I had nine friends that went through with me and Eight of them passed away. I'm gonna I'm gonna try to name a couple of them because I think yeah. I think I know some some that you're talking about. Um Benjamin Weinrib is a survivor. He was before me, so I didn't oh, Right, but any... you you were friends with him. I was friendly with him. I was talking about kids that I went through mom and went through. Oh, through. so uh, I'm not really sure if I So no, those are those yeah. I was they were I was very close with those guys, but right. they, they were they helped me get through it because they had gone through it prior right. to me. Chaim David. What's that? Chaim David. Yeah. He went through with it. you you or the same time you? I think also might have been either right before or we overlapped a little bit, I think. Right, you overlapped. I know you, because you went on that, yeah. you went on that trip with Ari Anderson to LA. Right. For a couple of days. With, who, who did you go with? Oh, I don't remember. It was oh. you... Um, oh I goodness. think Chaim David went, <laughs> and could be, and maybe Benjamin went. I think he might have gone on the first couple. There was a few trips, but yeah, I think no. Uh, one trip I remember it was uh, it was like for a week or something. It wasn't yeah, something like that. Yeah. Wow. So but yeah, so we are here to tell the story, Barfish. That's that's your story, but but now how did you get into uh, chef? How did you 
You're oh, a sous chef. So, yeah. so how did I, you get that? How did you get into it? So I always had I always had a knack for cooking. Okay. And I I went into I I had I had to do something. I trying to think of how to say this. When I when I finished when I finished my treatments and everything, I was I was I was actually in the middle of the the newest treatment cycle that I was starting. Okay. And it was every three months I had to go to the doc, go to the hospital, get like a shot. It was right. much, it was even less uh, even less painful and less invasive than the other kind of shots. Right. But I had to go once a uh, once every three months to get a shot. It was like a injection okay. and infusion. And um, and then I would I would you know I would do I think I did some scans even then or or that was in between whatever it was right um, and then I would come back three months later so my parents I was talking to my parents about it and and we I just was like we were we were floating the idea that I wouldn't I was ready of the age I was ready twenty I was ready in my twenties I was you know right. I wasn't I wouldn't be able to go there to Israel at any other point necessarily until right. if I went after I got married it made one thing but like as a right. buffer I never went to yeshiva I was never able to go to yeshiva in Israel. Right. So I f- we figured out that in be- like right I would do the treatment on a on a whatever it was on a Thursday whatever it was and then I would have I would be able to go I would I would basically plan that I would do the treatment I would go there to Israel to yeshiva for three months yeah and come back for another treatment and if I want to go back I would right. go back if not right. that, whatever I would you know figure it out then but at least okay. I'd get the experience of of learning right. in Israel you know just to be able to go and and learn in Israel so we actually did that um, I went to. I had I, I chose to go to yeshiva that I knew I had a friend that was already there just to be able to you know have somebody familiar not to because right. usually for guys that go to Eretz Yisrael takes them two or three months just to get acclimated to yeshiva right. and I only had three months in Eretz Yisrael right so I that's went pretty to, amazing uh, what's that that's pretty amazing yeah you only had three months yeah 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 so I I went to uh, um, yeshiva Medrash Shmuel actually in, in oh wow yeah yeah Rabbi Rabbi Moskowitz unbelievable. Unbelievable guy, unbelievable Rebbe. He, um, I became I became even close with him while I was there, and my friend was at that yeshiva, so I I had somebody familiar that could you know help me out with things if I needed stuff or whatever, just right. to have a familiar face around, and um, and it was great. It was a great experience. And I came and when I came back from Israel, I it wasn't practical to go back again, so right. I decided, and I was you know already. It was already much. It wasn't like I was in active treatment, and it was like right. recovery and pain. And everything I was, you know, my hair was growing back. I was getting strength back. I was getting right. back to normal. So I, I needed to get a job, basically. So I, uh, I ended up through a lot of different things and people and whatever. I ended up getting in touch with somebody from a, uh, from a restaurant in in uh, in Teaneck near Muncie, okay. and I started out as an intern there, and I worked my way up. I, I became the. I, be, I ended. I was there for eight years, and I ended as the sous chef at that restaurant. And I became a I became a chef. That's how, and that's really how I you know got into it. Wow! And then you went back to camp as this sh- one of the chefs or one of so, the yeah. So at that in, point, in I had already gone. I was in camp for a bunch of summers, and I went back. I actually went back to camp to to work to work as a chef in the kitchen. Yeah. Wow. To, to, and I think that was the year I met you. I mean, not met you. I knew I knew who you were, but right. oh, I was ready. Um, I was ready. I was ready in the kitchen by then when I met you. I think so. It's interesting. Maybe maybe right, right before I don't remember, but um, how did you get into biking and and doing all that stuff and bike for high? Oh, bike for high, yeah, bike for high. We should talk about that. I originally this coming year will be my tenth year bike for high. Wow! 
Um, <laughs> hopefully I'll be able to join, um, at least for some of it. But right. I, um, I got into biking. Some, a friend of mine had introduced me to hand cycles just because I knew I wouldn't be able to ride an upright bike. Right. Some sort of, and there was, you know, I, I was introduced to a guy in, actually near Muncie in one of the rehab hospitals near Muncie mm-hmm. who had, uh, who had a bunch of hand cycles and he was like showing me different things to that people use different ways, different types of different systems of how people ride bikes, you know, being handicapped in certain ways, different ways. Right. And a friend of mine actually rented some hand cycles for a different organization for, was there, uh, what was it? My first ride I ever did was a five bar bike tour. Oh, wow. And uh-huh. I did it. I was, uh, at that point I had been, I had been on crutches for like three, almost three and a half years. Right. Just, you know, being on crutches because of all my surgeries and everything. I couldn't, I could first when I still had my leg, I couldn't stand on it. Right. The amputation, obviously I needed crutches when I wasn't wearing my prosthetic. Right. So I was on crutches for about three years. So my, my shoulders had, had built up some, some muscle and, okay. I, and he was like, yeah, just calm. You'll do whatever you can. Don't worry. You'll, you'll, you'll try it out. You'll see how you like it. Hand cycling, whatever. So I, I, you know, I went, I got on this bike and I actually did like 20 something miles. Wow. Without any amazing. training. I was like, wow. wow, it was, I mean, I was sore, but it was interesting. I was like, wow. <laughs> no, I was very, and I got, and I really got into it. And the next year I, um, the next year I was in camp and that was the first year that, uh, at Dover Daggart, who's the, you know, right. the founder, founder for high, yeah. who, um, they, they didn't let him bring his bike on the bus. Right. Yeah. So he, he like, biked up the camp. camp. So he rode to camp. Right. And that was the first. And, I, and then the year after that, they had like five or six riders. It was a very small ride. At, you right. Know, in the very beginning, very small, maybe 10 riders, whatever it was. Yeah. And then as the years, I was there for three years as a staff member. The third, by the third year, I was already like, my second year, I was already like, yeah, I should, you know, I'm already into hand cycling. Why don't I try to do it? Like I was the only guy with a hand cycle, but I was like, yeah, right. Man. You know? Right. And by, and by the third, Third or fourth year of bike for Kai, I was already, I decided to like officially, you know, join them as a rider and actually ride. In my first year, I was able to do about 70 miles of the first day. And then every year I kind of progressed a little bit as much. I don't know if I ever did the whole entire, entire ride, but I did. I've in the past bunch of years, I've done right. 99 to 5% of the rides for sure. So, so before, so when hand. you, so when you, when you joined, um, and the first year when you joined Bike for High, it, it was a full two day bike tour. It was a full two day bike ride yeah. when you joined. How, how did you bike? And it took you forever. It took yeah, you it took forever. Me a long time. It took me a long time. It was, um, so the first year, I think it was 2015, maybe. No, mm-hmm. 2014. 2014? You started before you got married. Well, I started before that, but the first year that I did like the entire first day, I think it was 2014, where I did, I, I did the entire first day. Wow. Um, it was, uh, it was 110 or 112 miles. And I had, I had a good, amazing group of guys riding with me and who 14 hours to ride. Who were the guys that biked with you that, that day? Of that year, uh, it was I remember who was I? It was Nathaniel Gold, um, 
Donnie Weinreld, all these. I'm trying to remember all these guys. Toby. Mayor Cruder, what? Toby Weiss. He, he was there the next year. He 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 was Mayor Cruder. It's funny. He joined Bike for Chai because he was on the phone while I was riding in my first year, and he joined us the next year. Oh, wow. He was like, yeah. I have to come. I have to come. It was great. Yeah, and he was a new member of the team. So, 2014, you're biking with Donnie Weinraub. 2015. That was 15 already. That was 15. 15. It was 15. 14, 15, married, whatever it was. Just got married. So, before you started, before you got married, you biked with Donnie and Isano and and that 14-hour bike ride. I think I biked with Donnie before I was married. I married Donnie's sister, for those who are listening. <laughs> well, so that's I, where I was getting. I remember I, I biked with to, Donnie. I was trying to get that. to that. Yeah, I may have, but I don't remember. I thought a long you, time ago. I thought you biked with him before you got married, and that's like, because how did Donnie know you then? Before no. you, oh, how I met my how I met my wife, how I met his sister. No, well, how did Donnie get to know you, and then? Because you told me once that he knew who you were already from Teaneck, from the restaurant. You know who I was from his, from his, from his, him and Yitzi Haber are partners together in a, in a entertainment business. Right. So I knew, and I knew Yitzi from having prosthetics and being, you know, right. I was friends with Yitzi. So I knew Donnie through Yitzi a little bit. That's how I. Uh, so you didn't, you didn't get to, didn't you didn't get, personally you, so didn't, well, no. you didn't get to know Donnie on Bike for High. You knew him no. already a little bit beforehand. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh-huh. I knew him a little bit before, and in two thousand, yeah, I knew a little bit like peripherally. I knew him, and then right. So then, when you were read to his sister, what did he tell his sister about you? Oh, so how I met my wife. Whoa. So I, I, well, I, I was a, I was a, I was the sous chef at the restaurant at the time, right? And he was having dinner, and I saw him. He was like the last table of that night as I was leaving. And it was okay. summer, so it was outside. So I was walking by him to the parking lot, and mm-hmm. I saw him like through the corner of my eye. And he stopped me. He said, "Oh, JJ, what's going on? Whatever, we're schmoozing." And you know, we're talking. And he's like, "Oh," and his wife asked me, "Like, what are you looking for? You know, are you dating right. yet?" Back and forth. So, um, and that was that. And it happens to be that they were out for dinner, and my, and and his sister was actually babysitting. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> they came home and. His wife told now uh, now my wife right that um I mean I have to set this up but I I, I just met your husband he, you're, you're gonna marry this guy that's that's really what she said wow right away wow and what did you what did your and wife she, and she was and, to and say. the first thing she said well, by the way he has one leg you should know <laughs> I was like oh cool all right because she of course grew up with with her her brother Donnie's best friend Yitzi Haber right who had a prosthetic leg her entire life. And she grew up with somebody like that. So to her, it was actually familiar. So it wasn't like, right. so, it wasn't, so crazy. it wasn't, it wasn't, it wasn't foreign for her. Right. So, exactly. Cause Yitzi was in the house a lot. Yeah. They were, they're best friends. Yeah. Right. Wow. Wow. So, and now, now you have kids and Baruch Hashem, they're, Baruch Hashem, they're, they're growing up. Morty, three amazing kids. Baruch Hashem. Morty is how old now? And Morty is six. Shot is four. Wow. And Shmuley is going to be a year. Next wow. Month. It's JJ. You you give a lot of chizik to everyone here, and I I know, and I could personally tell you, I would not do bike for high 
I would not have done Bike Vachai if not for you. So I, I have to give you all the Hakaras for that. Because when, when I had the opportunity uh, um, to do it, I think you pushed me a little. And I... Yeah, I'm sure it did. And of course you should come. What do you, what do you mean? And, and now now we have a whole team. Bar Hashem. Yeah. Bar Hashem. Um, and it's less than a month away. And we're all going to do as much as we can. And we'll, it, we'll all just enjoy it. But, but JJ... You really give everyone lots of chizik, and and I just want to say thank you to to you and to your family, and especially your your wife and kids for all the uh, chizik that you give to everyone, and on a daily basis. Like wake we wake up every morning, right, and we say Maidani, and we thank Hashem. We thank JJ Isaac for. For all that, all the good that 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 he has given to the world, and and continues to give to the world, and I just want to end off with saying thank you for for allowing me to interview you, and it was a real treat. I know it was a long time in the making. Yeah, I'm sorry it took this long, but we, we for, actually for got a couple, here for a couple of years already. <laughs> um, yeah, it's true. <laughs> but yeah, it was it was really really amazing and. You inspire me, you, and you inspire the whole world. And we, all we can say is thank you, JJ. Oh, thank you. Thanks for having me on. And I want to just end off with a message to the audience after hearing my, my story. Your show is called The Unique Perspective. And I think for, for people that, you know, for the vast array of, of guests that you have had on and that you will have on, everyone has their unique perspective. And, and for me, going through what I went through, as you just heard, it gives me a, a rather unique perspective on, on life and on the world and on, on Yiddishkeit and a relationship with the Eibishter. And, you know, I, I can just tell you, I'll, I'll tell you one short vart just to yeah. end off this way that, that what my Rebbe told me mm-hmm. that the Pasuk, the Pasuk in, in, in Parshish Kisisa explains when, I, when, uh, Moshe Rabbeinu is talking to Hashem, and he says, I want to see your face. He says, show me your face. And the Abish just says, You can't see my face. Right? Okay. Um, says, and then it says, at the end, it says, You could see you could see me from the back, you can't see my face. And the shot that's brought down is, is that HaKadosh Baruch who has a plan for the world and has a plan for each and every one of us, for each person individually, and we're all interwoven, obviously, into each other's plan. But he has plan and hashgacha for each one of us individually. And we are put in situations for certain reasons. Right. The only thing we can do is once we go through those situations to learn from them, we look back. We look back and we see the, the amazing intricacies of the Kodesh Baruch Hu's plan for us. I, I can honestly tell you, I would not be where, who I am and I would not be where I am today without having gone through what I went through. So right. everything, and I mean that in a, in a good way. A hundred percent. You know, I think, you know, having gone through all this has made me and has made my family into, into what we are. And, and you know, being able to, to the privilege for me to be able to give chizik to people in that way is, is, is an amazing thing. 
And I think, you know, we should all, you know, open our open our eyes a little more and understand that Akash Baruch Hu has a big plan for us, Amit Hashem, and with with Amit Hashem with the Geula should be here soon, sooner, sooner than soon. We should should come, you know, as soon as possible, the Geula. But until then, we understand that we are where we're supposed to be, when we're supposed to be there, going through whatever we're going through for a very important reason. And we shouldn't give up hope on anything. And we should understand that it's for a reason. And we have a lot to, uh, a lot to live for. Wow. Yeah. Just one quick question. Your most, in, the most important person in your life or that was in your life that you could speak to or would speak to still for like an hour. Now? Um, now or, or before? During your time? Oh, during my treatment. <laughs> it's funny. Um, I mean, obviously, my, my mother was right at my side the entire time, davening and, and advocating and everything else for me. But, you know, as, as someone, you know, not, if, I mean, obviously more, obviously, obviously her, but, and, and, mm -hmm. I, and, and um, but at that time, besides for her, I think her and, and my, and my father, I think, I think it would have to be my my grandmother. My grandmother, Allah okay. Shalom, was was very special. It was very special to me. Very special to to everybody. Everybody called her grandma. It was everybody who ever knew her called her grandma. It wasn't you know, okay. wasn't she wasn't Mrs. Isaac to anybody. She was grandma. Right. She was, and, I, and she passed away about three years ago. Yeah. And a little over three years ago. And one of the I'll tell you an interesting story actually to end with this. Yeah. About grandma. <clears throat> he. My when I was diagnosed with cancer, my parents. She was already older. She was already living. Right. She was living in my parents' house at the time. She had moved in because she couldn't do the stairs at her house anymore. We built my parents built her an apartment attached right. to our house. And she was living in our house with us. Now, she, you know, every day we I, I was able to Baruch Hashem grow up with my grandmother in the house. Right. And and um, and she was already older. She was in her eighties. And I was and when I was diagnosed with cancer, my mother, my parents were afraid to tell her. They weren't sure what to do. You know, it happens to me that she, she, her career when she was when she was working, her she was a nurse. Oh wow! She was she was a chemo nurse <laughs> in the hospital in, the, in like you know 1960s when it was like when like wow. the nurses fixed their own chemo. It was like back in in the original days of chemo, right? In the original days of cancer treatment. So she was really in the beginning of it. And but my parents, like she was older, she they were afraid, they were they didn't know what to do. So my mother decided she was going to somehow just she was going to tell her. Okay. My mother came out of her apartment crying and she said, she said, grandma is going to be the one that's going to get us through this. Wow. <laughs> grandma, said, grandma said, whatever she said to her, you know, right. and, you know, and grandma and grandma was there for us for everything. She, she was there for me. She was. And as a, and just to give you a little glimpse of, of what a Munapshuta means from the last generation. Yeah. She was, um, she grew, she, 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 went married, the, she, she went through the war? No, she was in, she was born in, in Muncie. Like I, I said, oh, I right. she was born in Muncie. She actually went to, um, to Palestine before I was, so that's a whole different podcast. Yeah. And that's a whole a different conversation. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> um, but then she, they moved back to America after whatever she did, they went through, right. she they moved back to America. They established themselves in, in Muncie. And in the very early years, you know, at the time women didn't cover their hair. She wasn't, she never covered her hair. She wasn't really, you know, when she was 
already over 80 years old at the time. She decided, she said, what, what can I do? As you know, I can't, I can't daven as much because she didn't, she said, she never read Hebrew very well. She I can't daven, you know, I can't do a lot of things I can't do, but what can I do for my grandson? And she was extremely mockpit till the day she died. She was extremely mockpit that her hair was always covered. Wow. So that was her, that was her mitzvah. Beautiful. That's, that was her that's, mitzvah. that's, that was her mitzvah. And her, and her nurses, when she started having nurses at the house, she was always very careful. When she woke up right away, they had to put it on and make sure it was covered all the time. And, wow. But, you know, to be to be of that age and, and to take on something new for her, it was, you know, that must have that been was, very hard. That was the moon of the last her. generation. Yeah. Wow. Wow. Anyway, thank you, JJ. I, I really had a great time. Thank you for coming on, joining for the last, I don't know, hour plus. And that, yeah. Yeah, we gotta we gotta have you on a, a, another another time. We gotta have you on another time. Okay, looking forward to it. All right, have a great rest of your day. You have just listened to the latest episode of the Unique Perspective Show, broadcasted live on Hako Radio, powered by the Munson Mavasser. The Unique Perspective Show is hosted by Yehuda Blonder, who can be contacted through Hako Radio by sending an email to info at hakoradio.com. This show and many others can be found in the Hako Radio archive system on our website and mobile apps and can also be found on all major podcasting services.